coming, and uh, we hope that you're able to really just grab a hold of something good while you're here. For sure, the love of Jesus that's among our people, that you're able to um, make some long-lasting relationships with other believers. It's important that we understand about our faith is that we're not by ourselves. There are no such thing as commando Christians or uh, hermit Christians. Uh, you know, there, were, there was uh, in history uh, these folks that, um, that were part of, <clears throat> excuse me, the monastic movement. And um, these monks would go and live in caves or in trees or remote areas to try to get away from worldliness. And um, so they would kind of just, you know, separate themselves. Well, uh, they were missing out on a lot of things by doing that. Their tensions were good. However, uh, when we read the Scripture, the Bible talks about very clearly that we need each other. Are you aware that you need someone uh, you might need someone moving down the road, and uh, whether it's their prayers, whether it's their encouragement, it might be their accountability. We need each other. And, um, and as a body of believers, that we're able to depend upon each other in those times where uh, we need all of those different components. And so we're grateful with saying that. Uh, we're um, actually doing something a little bit different in our sanctuary, and I'm going to ask for y'all's help and cooperation uh, we made a while back a, a different configuration with the sanctuary, and we had in mind people who were going to be physically challenged, whether they were in wheelchairs or otherwise, that we made the, the, um, the rows or the aisles, rather, really wide so that we could afford for as many people who might be in wheelchairs or walkers that they need to sit on top of their walker that they could do it in the aisles. So we want them in an effort to, to keep everybody together so they don't feel like they're separate as well as keeping the chairs off the back walls as well. That's going to be for people who are trying to stay awake. How many of you guys have ever fallen asleep in a service? Okay, yeah, and then the rest of you, maybe you got sleepy, whatever. Uh, but what we do in our church is if there's ever an individual that uh, is getting sleepy, we don't, want them to, we don't want them to fall asleep because we want them to get all that God has for them. So we invite people, if you're falling asleep, to go stand in the back. You can stand back there, and nobody will look down their nose at you in judgment because uh, we've all been sleepy, and um, me too. And uh, so we're going to do that in, in, the, uh, in the back of the sanctuary. So I appreciate everybody's understanding and cooperation. Uh, in any event, we're going to go ahead and uh, share some quick announcements. Uh, before we do that, it is election time, and so we're going to elect new leaders for this upcoming church year. The church year starts March 1st, um, so that's coming up very quickly, and we've been announcing for people that are members of our church 15 years and over that you were going to be able to vote in our uh, election this morning. So uh, I'm going to ask those of you that are 15 years and older, and you're a member in good standing in the Church of the Nazarene here at Community Fellowship to rise to your feet. I'm going to also ask us, the ushers, uh, to come forward as they're going to help us to distribute this, uh, this ballot. Now, it's a two-part ballot. It's two pages. So don't sit down after you got the first page. So I'm going to hand out uh, this first page to our ushers, and they're going to distribute it. Also to include those people that are in the sound booth. So any of you that can help out with that, I'll give you some of those. Uh, give you some of these. And uh, I need a third usher. Brother Joe, por favor. Senor, there's some Spanish there for you. 
All right, so go ahead and stay standing after uh, you've received that first part of the ballot. And then if we can have one of our gentlemen to go upstairs and actually distribute up there as well so that those folks that are up in the sound booth can also vote, that would be great. All right. Then I'm going to ask, uh, maybe let's get three more ushers who can help us out. Three more ushers, three more. It doesn't matter who you are, just come on up. If you have two legs and you have a smile and you can hand out papers, then I can use you. There's one. And perfect, perfect. Thank you. And let's go ahead and hand those guys out. Yes, that would be outstanding. Nursery and Children's Church as well. Perfect. When you receive both pages, then you can sit down. Outstanding. Thanks, everybody. All right. Well, in the meantime, I want to read to you something out of the church manual. Uh, it is the, um, the place in Scripture where we have a, the covenant of Christian conduct, and specifically for church officers. Now, I want you to listen to this. I know that we can kind of get excited about all the uh, stimulation that we have here, but I want you to hear this. I want you to pay attention to this, because these are the things that we expect from leadership in the church. So if you're going to lead in any capacity, whether it's on the board or you're going to lead as a Sunday school teacher or maybe you're going to be on the platform, in any capacity that you're going to lead, we expect this kind of conduct from our leaders. And now I want you to hear this. We direct our local churches to elect as church officers active members of the local church who profess the experience of entire sanctification and whose lives bear public witness of the grace of God that calls us to a holy life, who are in harmony with the doctrines, polity, and practices of the Church of the Nazarene, and who support the local church faithfully in attendance and with tithes and offerings. All right? So why do we read that comment? Why do we read that paragraph? Why is that important? When the nominating committee got together a couple weeks back and we were thinking about who we wanted to put onto the ballot, uh, these were the, the qualifications that we wanted to measure up against uh, who would be considered for the ballot. And the only thing that that nominating committee did not know or could not know is who tithes and gives offerings. Obviously, they can't know that. Uh, however, those other things that we read about uh, are readily apparent. It's something that people can see. We talk about fruit, right? Jesus talked about by their fruit, you will know them, meaning the things that people display that you can witness firsthand is the fruit that we talk about that should be evident. Now, let me say it like this. Have you ever asked someone about someone else, do you think that they're a believer? And they might say, well, I think so, or they might be. Have you ever had anybody tell you that? Shouldn't it be readily apparent if somebody is a believer? Like there shouldn't be any questions at all that they love God? My, my sons asked me that specific question. Do they love God, Dad? And, you know, that's a great question. It's a profound question. Because you should be able to see the fact that they love God. You know, beyond what we say, right? I mean, do, how many of us have ever heard the term that talk is cheap? Right? Talk is cheap. I mean... Somebody could say all they want about that they love God, but you should be able to see it. There should be tangible evidence that somebody loves God. And that's what we're going to talk about, not even just with regard to uh, as you mark your ballots, 
But even bleeding into the, into the uh, sermon this morning, uh, talking about holiness. So I want to give you the time to go ahead and look at those and uh, mark them accordingly. So I'll give you a few minutes while I'm uh, sharing announcements as well. And then we will um, ask you to pass your ballots to the aisles. Okay? Don't put your names on them and don't fold them. If you folded them already, it's all right. Just kind of unfold it. All right, so this Monday night, this last Monday, we had an amazing uh, sound booth, uh, sound ministry, and vid- uh, you know, technology uh, meeting. And we had a whole bunch of people come and uh, are interested. And in fact, we had a new group of people already being trained this morning upstairs. And uh, we praise the Lord for people getting involved in, in that, those ministries, as well as the other ministries we have going on in our church. Now, if you were unable to make that meeting and you say, I still would, I still would like to try it out and see what it's about, it's not too late. We're going to have uh, other trainings that are coming up. Uh, specifically, we're going to be having um, training for uh, the, the things that we do on media with the cameras and the recordings on March the 11th. And Brother Jorge is going to be leading that meeting as he's kind of the head of that, that component of technology ministry. So if you're somebody who says, hey, I'd like to help out with video, I'd like to help out with editing, uh, these kinds of things, that will be on uh, March 11th. And uh, we are already announcing it because we want people to mark the calendars so that they can make plans to be a part of that meeting. And it will be right here in the sanctuary. It will be at 6.30 uh, on March the 11th, okay? So please, please, please make plans to be a part of that if you're interested in that um, ministry, all right? Uh, Other things we have going on in the church, I would refer you to your worship folder as well as the website, uh, or you can see either myself or Miss Rochelle, and we'll point you in the right direction, okay? Outstanding. So, uh, has everybody had the opportunity to mark your ballots? So we need we need extras. Do you need an extra? Okay, good, good, good. Thank you. Okay. All right. Do you have two more ballots that are blank? Okay, we're going to need some for counters. I guess counters are out still. If you could give that to Brother Ronnie, that'd be great. Two sets, please. All right. Has everybody had the opportunity to mark their ballots? Anybody need more time? If you need more time, raise your hand real high. All right, go ahead and pass them to the aisles. And I'm going to go ahead and ask the Board of Tellers to come up. Now, let me read those Board of Tellers. If you're unaware, you should have been contacted, but we're going to ask you to come to the front. Uh, That would be Harvey Spross, Paul Horn, Jerry Willett, Berlin Swenner, Linda Stivner, and Susan Lane, if you guys would make your way up to the front, that would be outstanding. Thank you for your cooperation, your willingness to be used as Board of Tellers. And what they're going to do is they're going to collect the ballots uh, at this point, and they're going to be dismissed to... Do we have a room, uh, Miss Rochelle, where they're going to... 
Okay, in, into the library. So our board of tellers is going to collect uh, those. We'll go ahead and dismiss you to do that. Collect all of the, um, the ballots. And then we'll dismiss you fine folks to what used to be the library to do the counts. And God willing, at the end of service this morning, we'll be able to announce the results. All right? All right. Smooth as butter. Love it. Thank you, everyone. All right, well, let's get into the Word. How about that? First John. How many of you all know what an Akita is? An Akita, it's a dog. It's a kind of a breed of a dog. Does anybody, you ever heard of an Akita? Okay, an Akita is like a husky on steroids. I mean, we had this puppy we bought, and we bought him from Iowa. We were living in New Mexico at the time. We had to have him flown in. And uh, they put him in his little kennel. And I, how old was he about? About eight weeks. Yeah, eight weeks old. And they put him in a kennel, and then they send him on an airplane. So we went to the airport there in Albuquerque, and you know, like where you go to the big items where they have either skis or golf clubs or whatever, it's not where the regular luggage comes out. It's on the side there if you have oversized items. Well, this is where the, they were going to deliver the dog was to uh, this other side, um, you know, conveyor belt. And so we go over to where he's supposed to be, and all these clubs are coming out, and, and skis are, are, are there, and, and we're waiting for this kennel. And it was the last one that was unloaded from the airplane. So here comes this, this, um, this kennel, this little carry kennel, about yay high. And you, you can't really make what's inside of it because his face was dark, and, and um, he's in the back. He's, he doesn't want to come to the front of it, so he's kind of in the back. And I'm trying to make, like, what does he look like? And, you know, and, and let's see this dog or whatever. And the only thing you could see was his white paws. And those paws were massive. And he was eight weeks. And I'm like, oh, no. Because <laughs> of his sheer size at eight weeks, he's already big. I mean, he's already big. So by the time then that he got enough courage to come out, he was, he was already like this at eight weeks. I mean, we're talking about like this. And Cute, I mean, like crazy cute. For I mean, puppies are cute, but this guy was really cute. Like we just, but he was big. And when I realized, even walking him early, we're gonna have to take this guy to obedience training. There is no way that you can manage that kind of a dog when he's full grown if you haven't trained them early. You have to, you have to get them in the obedience training. So we go to this obedience training. We signed up for it. And um, they taught us all these little tactics, these little, um, you know, training um, tools that we could use to get this dog at least manageable, you know. And um, as a puppy, he did a lot of crazy things that puppies do, digging, uh, tearing stuff up. Uh, he managed to destroy my lawn single-handedly uh, in my backyard, just the sheer size, uh, his wear and tear on things. He was just big. But... He was the most amazing pet that we have ever had. 
I mean, as big and as, as, I mean, just strong as he was. I mean, we could trust him with little kids. Uh, he would, I mean, we could take him for a walk. My wife, everything on her hurts, you know, whether it's shoulders or knees or back or whatever. And she could just walk him just like this. She'd stop and that guy would stop and then we'd start walking again. And she, the, there was so much give in the leash, you know. And this big dog is the kind of dog that you could hook up to a, uh, some one of these Iditarod things in Alaska and he could, uh, he could pull you. But my wife, as frail and little as, as she was compared to the dog, could walk him just like this. Just hold the leash in her hand just like this. Because that dog had been trained and best pet we've ever had. Why do I even tell the stories? Because when we begin to examine the idea of holiness as we've been in the last few weeks, we talk about this word that we have to talk about. It's obedience. We have to talk about this word. Um, the Christians, we, we need to get used to this word, obey. We need to obey the Lord. We need to obey his word. Um, when we talk about holiness, we can't talk about holiness if we don't talk about obedience, there has to be both of those, those understandings that these two words, they, 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 they're enmeshed. They are one. A person cannot declare themselves to be Christian if they're not obedient. I know that that's not a popular message in the culture, but it's just the, it's just the truth. A person cannot declare themselves to be a person of God if they don't obey his word. We have to obey his word. We have to be obedient to the Lord. If there's anything at all that, that we struggle with in the culture, it's even in the Christian culture, is trying to manage this idea of grace and obedience. So we talk about grace, and we think that it lets us off the hook from obedience. And that's just not the case. That's just not biblical at all. That when we talk about that we have his grace, that it, compel, it compels us, it gets us excited, and it's part of our DNA to obey. If you truly embrace the grace of God in your life, then you don't frustrate his grace by continuing to disobey his word. When we talk to church people, sometimes they kind of almost assume that they're obedient in all matters that God has conveyed to them. I want you to let that soak in. I'm going to say it again. When we talk to Christians sometimes, they make automatic assumptions that they're obedient in every matter of the word. And key word there is assumption. I'm not going to say what we used to say about assuming before I was a believer. But I will say this. Assumptions can get us in a lot of places where we don't want to be as Christians. How many of us this morning would say that my desire is to stay sharp, to stay sensitive, to stay hot? As the Bible would say, Jesus talking about lukewarm, how many of us would want to run so far away from lukewarm that we will do anything that we have to to get away from lukewarm? That should be something that we are well aware of. And the way that we'll be able to continue on in that kind of a trajectory is to make sure that we make zero assumptions about anything that concerns our faith. 
Lord, if there's anything at all offensive in me, reveal it so that I can walk in the way that's everlasting. Don't ever take your faith for granted. Don't ever make assumptions about your faith. Stay sharp. Lord, if there's anything at all, reveal it. Obedience is something that if we're not obeying what God says, we're not right with him. There's not a lot of amens, but there should be. I'm not afraid of the word obedience. I, I love that word. I think it's a good word. I think it's a word where I want to I want to dwell. That I'm obedient to the Lord. In 1 John, we finished uh, in verse 7 last week. Let's pick up in verse 5 just so that we have context. Okay? But we're going to move on in, in the text. Here's what it says, the Apostle John uh, in, in 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him, and we declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Verse 8. If we claim, okay, now jump back up to verse 6. You'll see the same verb there, and it's consistent also in Greek, by the way. Notice in verse 6 it says, if we claim. So this claim <laughs> finds its basis or its origin in something that is a false claim. Okay? Why? Because in verse 6, what, what do we know? We know that someone is making the claim that they have fellowship with God, yet what? They're walking in the darkness. So it's an inconsistency, right? The claim itself, it, it finds its basis in something that is not true. Are there people that make claims about things that are not true all the time? And we're not even talking about things that pertain to spiritual things. People make claims about all kinds of things. If you were to look at Facebook, how many people are aware of something called fake news? What's fake news? Somebody reporting something that's not true, but acting like it is, right? So in verse 6, we have a false claim. He's, he's talking about a hypothetical person who makes a claim about something, yet there's inconsistency. This is going to be important when we get into verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 9. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, look at, there's the word claim again. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Okay, so here's what holiness people have the tendency to do. I want to concentrate on chapter 1, verse 7, and verse 9. And I'm going to skip verse 8 and verse 10. That's what holiness people like to do. Because I don't want to have to talk about verses, uh, you know, 8 and 10, because it kind of pokes a hole in my theology. And then here's what the people who like to affirm sin do. I'm not going to talk at all about verses 7 or 9, 
because I like verse 8 and 10. You know why? Because they're seeming contradictions, aren't they? I mean, wouldn't we say when we look at both of those, wait a minute, Paul, or John, not Paul, John, make up your mind. Which one is it? Does he purify us from all sin? Because if he purifies us from all sin, how are we going to deal with verses 8 and 10? Unless he's saying something else, unless all of it does come together and there is no contradiction at all, which is what I believe. If we went to context, what do we, who, who was the audience? Who was John talking to? Remember when we started the series and we were talking about the Gnostics? Who were the Gnostics? They compartmentalized the spiritual from the physical, that which was physical matter, and that which was of the spiritual world or the... Um, this kind of a, an approach to, to saying that these two do not intersect. They don't come together. And in fact, one can be independent of the other one in the same individual. So that with my flesh, what I do with my flesh, it, it's not impacted by what I am in my spirit. And what I am in my spirit does not impact at all what I do with my flesh. So if I do things that are sinful, and they, they believed about matter, that which was the physical realm, is that it was corrupted and it could not be made holy. So therefore, if that's the case, then everything that I do with my physical, that it's going to be sinful. It is going to be sullied by unrighteousness. That's the way that that works. But I am actually regenerated in my spirit, so I can be even Christian uh, I could be holy in my spirit, but it is powerless to impact or affect for positive that which I do with my flesh. Does everybody understand that as the review? Remember? We were talking about that. So they were compartmentalized. But these guys were making these claims. Notice the word claim all three places in those, in those um, verses that we looked at. These were people who were making claims about their faith, now, understand about Gnosticism. This is important. Gnosticism, they weren't taking Jesus and throwing him in the trash. Like the devil does so many times, the Bible talks about that he comes and he masquerades as an angel of light. Meaning that he comes in looking beautiful. He comes in to deceive. The devil's not going to come in with needles hanging out of his arms. <laughs> He's not going to come to God's people doing despicable, ugly, nasty things with his head going in 360s and projectile vomiting. He doesn't come in looking like that. He doesn't come in with a tail. He doesn't come in with yellow eyes or a pitchfork either. The devil comes in to deceive. And if he comes in as an angel of light, he comes in as something beautiful. So if he's going to come in something is, is beautiful, and you think about what would be attractive to the flesh, especially when we're talking about the context of church, we're going to talk about something that sounds pretty real, yet it's wrong enough to be something that deceives the very even elect. Gnosticism was not the ugliest thing that you had ever heard or ever seen, but it was wrong because it robbed the deity of Jesus Christ. And here's how he did it. We believe from our church fathers early in, 
in the church in the 300s when they were trying to establish the person of Jesus Christ. Who is he? Who is Jesus? And they were having councils and, and different diets, and they were trying to figure out, how do we define Jesus? And there were some people that thought, well, you know, um, he, he was all God, and, um, but he wasn't fully man. And there were other church fathers, and they were saying, well, you know, we believe that he was, you know, man, and, and that, but there was a little bit less than God, and there were, there were both camps, and, and they were trying to figure out what was going on. Now, if you're talking about in the early church, there wasn't all of the, you know, the, the things that we have access to. In fact, they were even trying to put together the canon of Scripture. <laughs> there were people in different parts of the world that they had had letters passed back and forth, and so they're trying to even establish what the Bible is in the context of the New Testament. I mean, they were undecided about what to include and what not to include. And, and so they, were, they had to have these meetings and they had to have these people come together, these church fathers, and, and there was a lot of prayer and there was a lot of fasting and, and there was a lot of deliberation and discussions and even, yes, arguing. It was, it was quite a, uh, um, a, a display of even our idea about incarnation in that Something as ordinary as a bunch of guys getting together, a bunch of people that are flesh, were coming under the lordship of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit would give them the wisdom to be able to know what was needed for the church. And today, we're church because these people trusted God. These people listened to the Holy Spirit, and they were able, even as much as they were men, they were open to the movement of God. In their discussion then about who Jesus was, who Jesus is, this is the conclusion they came to. He is the God-man, very God, very man. It's both. A very difficult concept. I mean, when you talk about, let's like, say, for instance, the Nicene Creed, there was this, this desire for the early church to want a common belief that wherever you went, didn't matter if you went to someplace in Europe, or you went to Northern Africa, or you went to wherever you were led, that when you went into a Christian church, there was commonality, that we could say that we believe the same thing. It's the same kind of deal where when you're talking to a Baptist person, or you're talking to a Lutheran person, you're talking to a Calvary Chapel person, or a Church of the Nazarene person, we have commonality that unites us, and it's our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we did that, when we, when we were able to actually come to conclusion about that, in the Nicene Creed or some of the earlier creeds, there was this much about God. We believe in God, the Father, the creator of all things. And so everybody understood about who Jesus was or who God was, the Father. They understood that. And then they talked about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, there was a description about the Holy Spirit. And then there was a description about the Son of God. And it was like, oh. God... Jesus, Holy Spirit, all God. But Jesus is the hinge point. Jesus is the one who helps us to understand what this, this plan that God had means for us. If we can define who Jesus is, then we can know exactly with, with certainty from the Scripture who we're supposed to be. If you miss it on Jesus, you miss it. 
It's important to know who Jesus is. So here's what happens in the churches. You ready? In the churches, how many of us have ever heard someone say, well, I'm not Jesus. You ever heard anybody say that? Well, I can't be like Jesus. You know, he, he was Jesus. When somebody says something like that, they dumb down the, 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 the humanity of Jesus. Very God, but very what? Man. Yes, he was both. He wasn't one or the other. He was both. If somebody wants to focus on one or the other, then this is to miss out on what God has for us that he intends for us to be. If a person makes a declaration, well, he's Jesus. We can't be like Jesus, except that Jesus would even come against that one. And he said, if anybody would have faith in me, I'm going to tell you the truth. He can do the things that I've been doing, and even greater things can he do, because I'm going to go to my Father. Wait a minute. Well, wait. That kind of pokes holes in our theology. And Jesus is the one that said that. How many of y'all believe that when Jesus tells the truth, he's telling the truth? Anybody? He's, that's, why he said, that's why he said it, right? He says, I tell you the truth. He said it all the time, I tell you the truth. Because it's real. And when, when we talk about then that, that, well, wait a minute, can we be like Jesus? Well, not in and of ourselves, you can't. It's impossible. That's why the Bible talks about your righteousness, my righteousness, like filthy rags. But God in a man, God in a woman, can help us to overcome flesh, can help us to overcome sin, so that God in me, the hope of all glory, God in you, the hope of glory. Have you ever thought about what that even means? What is glory? Glory is where the angels are. Glory is where God's praises are sung and our ears couldn't comprehend that. And he says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. That the angels in heaven have hope? What do they have hope for? They have hope for you. That man, if these people, this creation of yours, God, who are created in your image could grab a hold of that good gift that you have made available with Jesus dying on the cross and the Holy Spirit to live in them. This is the hope of all glory. These are the, they, they, oh man, these are the kinds of things that they're saying, oh, is he going to get it? Is he going to allow God to do that in him? I hope so. Come on, is, he, is this individual going to actually grab a hold of this sermon this morning? Is this person going to get up off of their laurels and come to an altar this morning and invite God's presence to be in them? Because here's the hope of glory. The hope of glory is so profound that when the, when the presence of God invades a human being, that, that person cannot remain the same. They, they can't revert back. They can't go back. I'm working with, with, a, with some people right now that I'm, I'm, th I'm thinking, Lord, if these people get, get a hold of this one, they would reject all of the things that they think are important, all the things that infuriate um, the, the, the good movement that you're trying to incorporate in their lives. They would actually grab a hold of this good thing. They could have victory and they would look at their lives in such a different way. They don't see it. But someone that God has done something with, I see it. And I'm like, would you just do it? Would you just grab a hold of it? 
Would you just wrap your arms around this? Because if you do, God will change you. He will put you on your feet so that you can stand, so that you can walk, so that you can sprint. You can be solid on your feet, the solid rock. I can't be like Jesus. The devil is hoping that the church really believes that. You can be like Jesus. Whoever told you that lie, that came from the pit of hell. You can be like Jesus. God wants, God's will for you is that you are like his son, that you live like him, that you live upright. You know, have you ever heard, like, for instance, in the scripture, in the Philippians chapter 2, it says, we should have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And how many of us have ever thought that's impossible? We shouldn't think that. Could you imagine having the same attitude of Jesus? What would that entail? Your attitude about life. What if your attitude matched Jesus' attitude? You wouldn't be walking around with a sour face and a sour attitude and complaining and whining all the time. You wouldn't be somebody that is looking at somebody else's stuff and thinking that you deserve what they got. You wouldn't be thinking, you wouldn't be walking around acting like you're owed something. Come on, bud, wash my feet. Come on, let's go. Get a movement. It's not going to watch itself. All right. Everybody's making excuses why they can't. You ever thought about all the energy it takes to run away from what you know to be right? There's all these people that are running with all the passion and all the vigor and everything that they have. Sorry about your shoe, bro. Sorry. We, I, I think I, I tightened the knot on it. <laughs> if I was going to wash your feet, I think I would just take the shoe off and then you can tie it later. All right. All right. Hey, man, it's all good, you know. Maybe we need to have a foot washing service. What do you think about that? Would that be something? It's hard to wash somebody's feet. It's hard to have somebody wash your feet. This attitude, we make, we make excuses why we can't be like Jesus, whether it's the attitude or whether it's our practices, it's our habits, it's our, the way we live our lives. And, and we're too busy trying to make excuses why we can't. And so you may spend all this energy running, 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 trying to make the excuses, trying to cover it up and trying to, you know, make rationale for it. And instead, could you imagine you just redirected all of that passion and all that energy to actually do what God has prepared you to do by his grace, that God has empowered you by his Holy Spirit to actually accomplish? Could you imagine if you ran toward that? Could you imagine if we make a declaration, no more excuses for me. I'm serving God period. I'm going to serve the Lord because not only do I have his Holy Spirit living in me, I have brothers and sisters who are going to pray for me and encourage me to do it. 
I have a pastor who'll preach the truth that if there's something that's not actually biblical, I'm gonna get to the church and I'm gonna hear about it and it's gonna be good for me. I have all these things working for me and I'm gonna run full speed with God in the direction of God. And the days of me making excuses why I can't do something, that's over. What would we do about this this morning? If, if you're a husband and your wife is a pain in the neck and you think that you have the right to be able to have that kind of an attitude that you have about your spouse, wouldn't it be something to say, I don't even care how they act. I'm going to love them. And I'm, I'm going to make a declaration right now before God, and I might even have an accountability partner that I'm going to say this declaration to so that I can have accountability. But I'm going to say, you know what? I don't care how my spouse treats me. I'm just going to love them, period. When you make these declarations like this and God hears them, God is the kind of God that wants to be involved in that kind of a thing because now you're stepping out in faith. I can't be like Jesus. That's to actually remove the, the, the humanity of Jesus. You ever thought about who, who Jesus the man was? Like when you read Mark, do you ever get the impression Jesus is cranky? How are you so dull that you don't understand this? Why are you guys talking about bread? Bread for the trip. Why are you guys talking about that? One of the Gospels, he asked, how long does he have to be with them? Like, could you imagine that? How blessed would you feel if somebody said that about you? Oh, are we almost done? He was a human being. Let me just tell you. That guy hurt like we hurt. Like if somebody said something ugly and nasty, the same way that when somebody says ugly, nasty things to you and you get your feelings hurt, I'm telling you, he was a human being like anybody else. When they started pulling the beard out of his face, that hurt. When they put him on a cross and they started to drive nails in this guy, it hurt him. It was pain. His body was no different than your body. His feelings were not different than your feelings. In order for Jesus, grab a hold of this. In order for Jesus to actually be our Savior, he had to don the same human flesh that we wear and overcome all the challenges that that flesh brings to be able to be of use to us. If his flesh was different than ours, then big whoopty that he was overcoming sin and death. Big deal. But now, if we have, if, uh, listen, throwing the Gnostic idea in the trash and to say about Jesus, he was fully man. That if this guy has the same flesh that I wear with all of its temptations, as the writer of the Hebrew says in chapter four, what that means then is that he wore that flesh and he was victorious over that flesh and he was able to be um, everything that the Father had intended him to be. Here's what that means. Is that now, because the same spirit that is in you, that's what the Bible says, right? It's not a different spirit that Jesus had than we get. The spirit, the same spirit that's in you, the victory is also ours. 
You know, here's what that means. Listen, here's what that means. It doesn't mean you're a perfect human being. If that's what you're getting from this, you're not understanding what, what I'm trying to communicate. It doesn't mean you're going to be a perfect human being. What it does mean is that God reveals things in your life, about your life, about things that pertain to your everyday existence, that his Holy Spirit and the power of his grace is such that we can hear him and we can walk in obedience with him as our day unfolds. That's what that means. So somebody's making you annoyed, you can act on being annoyed if you want to. You can. If you're annoyed, it means you're human. But when you act in a, in a, in a fashion from that annoyance to have a bad attitude is when you step into sin. The fact that you were annoyed by somebody who cut you off in traffic doesn't mean that you're sinful. It means that you're human. But then when, that, when, when you want to put on the gas so that you can give them the bird, that's when it turns to sin. Does everybody understand that? What we're saying here is not that you're not going to live in this flesh and have challenges and struggles. You're going to. It means you're alive. It doesn't mean you're sinful. It means you're a human being. Jesus never sinned. The Bible talks about that this guy, conceived of the Holy Spirit, was without sin. The difference between him and us is that we were born into sin. We were born with a human dad, right? So we were kind of talking about that last time we were together. But think about this. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, everybody knows it. What is it? Come on. For all sin and fall short of the glory of God, right? How many times have we ever heard that passage? If you read that passage in an entirety, it's not even a complete sentence, in a, a complete thought in and of itself. Do you know that? Have you ever read that in Romans 3.23? Because people like to declare that passage as kind of their, th their ticket to sin. See, we all sin, and that's just the way it is, and we're just always going to sin, and that's the way. But that's not what it says in its entirety. If you were to read verse 22 and verse 24, you'd get a full picture of what it's actually saying. What it means is this, and this is what John is saying, is that every single human being needs a Savior. I don't care who you are. You might be a good person. You might be crocheting blankets for the poor. You might be helping people across the street. But your righteousness, apart from God's, is filthy rags, and you need a Savior. That's what Romans 3.23 is saying, and that's what 1 John chapter 1 and verses 8 and 10 are saying. Is that a person cannot declare themselves to be good or right or holy without the grace of God. But if you have the grace of God, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, created to do good works. And the Christians have bought this, this ridiculous philosophy that we have to hold on to that we're just sinners, we're just sinners, we're just sinners, we're just sinners. Well, you used to be a sinner, but now you're a blood-bought child of the king. You used to be a sinner, but now you're a new creation. And now you walk in obedience. And the habit of your life is saying yes to God, not saying no. I, I love this idea because then now when I talk about Jesus being fully God, fully man, now I understand the full concept, the full impact of why Jesus had to become man. Why did he have to become man? I always picture it like this, if God was saying to his son before he came, hey son, would you please go show them how it's done? 
can you please go show them my original intention? And Jesus enters flesh. You guys remember the old, uh, was it uh, the models and the catwalk? Remember? Remember? And then they might stop. The funniest one I ever saw was this lady was wearing these high heels like this. And all of a sudden her ankles start doing this. And she's trying to get her balance, but man, her ankles. And, and the, I was watching these uh, anchors. Um, they were reporting on it. And it was a man and a woman. They were, um, you know, the news anchors. And uh, the man, as they're showing the footage of this girl with her ankles going like this, and she's going like this down the catwalk like this, you know. And she cannot get her bearings. I mean, she cannot get her, her you know, her footing. Because the, the, these, I don't even know why somebody would even wear those. Why would you even wear that? And the guy, the, the news anchor who's the man, cannot stop laughing. He's turning every color of red that you can imagine. He's just laughing. He cannot get his composure. He can't, he can't stop laughing. And the woman, in full, in full woman fashion, Why is that funny? And I'm like, why is that not funny? Are you not watching this? That story has nothing absolutely to do with the sermon. It just came to my mind. I just thoughts. Anyway, I like Jesus getting into flesh. And we picture him kind of just walking, doing ministry, living life. Obeying the Father. And we have an example. And we look at Jesus and we say, oh, that's how it's done. That's what we're supposed to do. That's how we're supposed to live. The, limit, the limitation of that illustration, obviously, is that, you know, obviously they're just putting on clothes and walking up and down a stage. But here's, here's, here's what's really impactful for us this morning. You have to wear this flesh. And you get to choose who's going to wear it. You can wear it. Or you can decide, I want Christ to wear it. Because what he's saying is that, Apostle Paul, I love how he says, it's not no longer I that lives. But it's Christ Jesus in me who lives. So I surrender myself to God every day. And every minute of that day, and Jesus is able to walk in my flesh with me fully surrendered. So that no matter what the Father says, I do it. And it's not rocket science, you guys. You don't have to be a theologian to understand this. All you have to do is have an ear for God. All you have to do is get in his word. All you have to do is stay close to this guy. And if you'll stay close to this guy and you'll be listening for him, that when he speaks, all you have to do is surrender immediately. And the Christians are under this impression that the only surrender that happened is when I went to the altar way back in 1922. No, wrong. We continue to surrender to God day by day, minute by minute, second by second. That's what intimacy is. And the people in the churches have no idea what that intimacy is supposed to look like. They think it's relegated to Sundays. And here we go again with the compartmentalization. So this is one side of the people that say about Jesus, well... I can't be like Jesus. And what they're doing is they're promoting this deity and they're removing the humanity. Let's go to this side. 
How many of us have ever heard people talk about, well, Jesus was a good man. I don't know that he was God. You know him, right? We talk about, well, you know, he's, you know, he was a good guy. He's a moral guy. Great teachings. Good guy. But he wasn't God. Those people are just as wrong as the people on that side. Both of them are wrong. Where I think that these people in this story were almost declaring that I don't need a savior. That I don't need the, 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 I don't need to confess that I'm a sinner. I don't have a need of a savior. A person might think in a church, especially where you say, well, yeah, the people in the world, they all think like that. A lot of them do, right? They think like that. The, the, you know, the people that are worshiping other gods, they think that, you know, so, but that we're not in danger of that in the church, are we? We don't say it verbatim that way, that Jesus was not really God. He was just a good man. You know when we do this? Now grab a hold of this. When we, teach, when, we, oh, when we treat his teachings as ordinary, as something that we don't really have to listen to, as something that we can pick and choose and we can compromise with God which ones we're going to do, And there are people in the churches that are guilty of this one. Let's go back to the attitude of Christ Jesus. If we were going to say in Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is talking about having this same attitude. And we look in the mirror and we realize, I don't have the same attitude. What do you do with that? What is a Christian supposed to do with that? I'll tell you what we should do. We should get at an altar and pray like he's coming back in 10 minutes. I've told my wife before, I've never been in a church where you preach something and you know probably 90% of the people need to come to an altar and none of them come. And I think, well, maybe, maybe we need to go do something else. If you have a bad attitude and you know that the Bible says that you should have the same attitude as that of Christ, that is uninstanced. That is one thing. There are a myriad of other things that go on in churches that people are not practicing and they know God's word says it, but they don't care. And they don't say it that way, but that's really what they're doing. We make excuses. Yeah, well, you know, I'm pretty good otherwise. I mean, I... I these other ones I'm really good at. These other ones I'm really, really good at these things. So I think he'll probably overlook the attitude thing. Somebody had the audacity to go to one of our people and say, why does the pastor keep preaching on attitudes? And this person didn't even flinch. Just like that. Quick hitter said, well, when we change our attitudes, maybe he'll go on to something else. I never choose to preach what I'm going to preach, by the way, you guys. I don't know if you're under some illusion that I get to just choose it. God's like, no, you're going to preach that again, and then you're going to preach that again, and yes, this week you're going to preach that again. And you know why? Because he knows. <laughs> he knows what we need, right? I mean, yes? Somebody should say amen up in here. He knows. 
Tithes, tithes and offerings. Somebody say, well, I don't give tithes, but I do everything else. And you think God's like, oh, cool. Well, at least they're doing everything else. That's cool. You know. We think like this. We get all freaked out about the thing that, well, God's not asking us to be obedient to everything that's ever existed in all of the world from the beginning of time, right, Pastor? And I'm saying, why don't you just start with the things that he's already revealed to you that you're not obeying? What if we started there instead of worrying about all of this? Because what this does is take the focus off of this. Well, Pastor, you know, what about those people in Africa that are in remote places and nobody's ever told them the gospel? Are they going to hell? What do you care? Are you going to get on a plane and go witness to them? You can't even witness to the guy that's at Starbucks. What are you even talking about? <laughs> like, are you for real? And we say, okay, well, God, Pastor, I've never said that Jesus is less than God, that he's just a man, that he's just kind of just a dude. But we kind of have. If we've taken his word and just minimize it to where I can compromise with it, where I can negotiate with God. Like God's somebody that we can negotiate with. The scripture says it. Like you're going to go to God, okay, God, I'm glad you brought your briefcase. Now, we, there's some matters of the thing that I've been reading, and I'm wondering, you know, you're kind of a little bit too hard on this one. So can you dumb that down a little bit for me? Because, well, you know, it's me. We're not, we don't say it that way, but this is what we're doing. And, and here's the saddest part. We have access to power. We have access to obedience. We have access to victory. We have access to all these good things, and we trade it in for that slop. And, and then here's the kicker. At the end of days, there are going to be these people that are going to say, didn't we do these things in your name, and didn't we do that in your name? Didn't we go to church, and weren't we nice to people? And he's going to say, get away from me. You're a worker of rebellion and disobedience. I don't know at all who you are. I mean, th th that's going to happen, you guys. Listen, you can be bored. You can get mad. You can want to kill the pastor, whatever you want to do. But there's coming a day when that will happen. And there won't be anybody to blame at that point. Because God is a righteous judge. And he judges by who has the blood and who doesn't. If, if, the, if this individual has my blood on him and in him, he's getting in. This one doesn't, he's not getting in. And we'll, here's what will happen. On that day, we'll remember all of the opportunities that we had to make the thing right, and we didn't. And for what? For what? You ever heard the term, there's going to be hell to pay? You remember like when you were going to get in trouble and your mom was going to get home, your dad was going to get home? There was going to be hell to pay. That's literal. Like that's, that's, that's real. There is a hell. And, and most people, the Bible says most people are going there. And you know why? When I say most, I'm not talking about the people of the world. They're going to hell. If they don't know Jesus, they're going to hell. But the people in the churches are equally going to go to hell. And I've wondered if the, their hell's going to be hotter. And when they say this is hotter than, you know, I'm not going to say that. But it's, it's. 
But I've wondered, and here's why, because they're going to remember those times, those, those, those evangelists that came, those revival meetings, Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, opportunities that they had and they never did anything with them. And they're going to say, what the heck was I doing? What was, and it's going to be too late. But see, it doesn't have to be. And tonight, or this morning, it feels like a tonight. It's tonight somewhere. This feels like a revival meeting to me, like it's a night. It's a nighttime. Doesn't it feel like that to you? Maybe not. Maybe you're hungry for lunch. <laughs> but I'm going to be honest with you. God wants from us all or nothing. That's what he wants. And if he doesn't have all of you, man, I'm telling you, 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 you can try to fool yourself, but you're not fooling God. And I believe that even that kind of a person knows, they know. Ask yourself this morning, this thing that I have in my clutches that I'm holding on to, weigh it against the love and the grace and the mercy, the power of God, and try to compare them. If you, I mean, if you could, if you could do it. Because you can't hold on to both of them. You can't have access to both of them. If this is what God says I want, we need to relinquish control of that and offer it to God so that we can grab a hold of these ones. And there is no comparison. Any, any Christian I've ever talked to that has experienced peace and power and love, self-control and joy, all of these things that we read about, that I've never met that individual who's regretted giving up these ones. Amen. I've never met that person. And you're sitting there and you're thinking, yeah, but if I, Pastor, if, I'm, if I you know, humble myself or if I have to apologize or if I have to get rid of this thing in my life or if I have to you know, eat some humble pie or if I have to, whatever the thing is, and you're sitting there and you're contemplating the cost. I, I just, as your, as your pastor, as your spiritual leader, I want to say to you, to trust God, that the thing that he's offering you is so much better than the thing that you're holding on to. It's, it's just better. But you gotta trust him. And you need to relinquish control of all as he defines it, as he reveals it. I'll finish with this. The worship team's on their way up. I was watching a Netflix uh, documentary. It was this guy named Cernan. He was, a, uh, he was the last man on the moon. Have you guys seen that documentary? Anybody seen that documentary? Yeah, it was an interesting documentary. And more than them, you know, talking about him on the moon and all the things he experienced on the moon, I got from it more than anything that he had a lot of regrets about some of the things and the people that he neglected to get on the moon. I mean, there's no doubting at all that he did some great things in his life. 
and um, had great experiences for sure. But as an old man, you know, he was, he, I think he died last year in January. Um, but in the documentary, he's this old, frail man who can, they, they're riding horses. Him and his buddy are riding horses, and they get off the horse, and he can't even lift his leg over the, <laughs> over the saddle because his hip doesn't want to cooperate. And so they have to try to help him to get off the horse. And, and then he gets off the horse, and he says, I can't walk. And they still have a good laugh about it and everything. And, and, and so he's this frail, elderly man. And he had opportunity to, to think about and to reflect. And they show him there in front of the capsule, the one that took him to the moon and actually landed on the moon. He's at this museum, and he's looking at it. And he says, you know, I wonder if I'm going to leave some kind of a legacy or, you know, people 100 years from now, maybe 1,000 years from now, would look at this capsule, and, and they'd even care about the name tag that's on there. And then he says, he goes like this, and this was powerful for me. In preparation for this sermon, and prayer, he goes like this. He goes, eh. and he walked away from it. And I thought, man, the kinds of things that we neglect, we are just putting by the wayside and quitting on, that's eternal life. And we just kind of, and we walk away from it. And this morning, guys, you're presented with that opportunity to make the most important thing right in your life. That's what you're presented with now. It's a call to obedience. It's a call to love God. It's a call to comply with his kindness, to agree with his grace. That's what this is this morning. But it requires all. Not some, not part, all. I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. This area up in the front is open. And if you feel like you need to come and you need to pray, I'm going to invite you to do that right now. Just get up out of your chair and you have a, a time of prayer, a time to be real with God, to be open with him. Can you say this morning without zero assumptions, I've given God all. If you can say that, then stay in your seat. But if you can't say that, you need to get up.
happening at this place of prayer, that God, you can bring closure that where the devil will continue to bring blame, the devil being the God of the past, that this good thing that Jesus did to finish the work on the cross, that we don't have to be subject any longer to the bondage of sin, that it's done, it's over, it's finished. This morning, God, we proclaim for our own ears, for the ears of others, that you could hear it, and also so the devil can hear it. We make a declaration this morning that it's done in our lives. The disobedience, the dysfunction, the, all the things that, that bring the guilt and the shame, that's over, that's done. And we make a commitment to you this morning, we your children, to walk with you. No matter what, these two key words, supemone and hupemone, these two words which mean to submit, that we would come under you today, right now, in the name of Jesus. We will submit ourselves willingly, volitionally, to come under your leadership in our lives. And the second word 
meaning to remain there, to abide there, to stay there. We make a decision at an altar like this one this morning to come under, but God, would you grant us your grace that we would stay there day by day, that as difficult, as challenging as it is to serve you, that God, no matter what, we're going to stay there. We're going to trust you. We're going to live for you. Regardless of what that means for us, God, regardless of what it means for our flesh, we know that we need to stay abiding. This morning, there have been people that have made that choice and that decision. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would flood their lives, would completely overtake them and devastate them for good. And as they're swept away, that you, that you, oh God, would be their Savior. And that there would be no turning back. It's done. It's finished. And when we say amen, it means let it be so in my life. Let it be so. I agree with it. I'm going to agree with your grace. I'm going to be compliant to what you have to say. I'm going to live for you, Lord, regardless. And I don't have to understand everything, Lord. I don't have to know the answers for stuff. All I have to know is that you love me. All I have to know is that you have good in store for me. All I have to know is that at the end of days, if I'll walk with you and I'll walk for you, that you will bid me to come and to rest eternal rest that's enough for me I'll stay I come under and I'm going to stay and we'll give you the praise Lord God with heads bowed and eyes closed we're almost finished this morning you'd say pastor you know I didn't come up I, I know I needed to I know that there's some things in my life that it's not all it's just but and I know that God wants them but I did not relinquish control this morning but I'm asking for your prayers that I'll be able to do that soon and very soon. Is there anybody at all like that? Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to call you up or embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Is there anybody at all like that this morning? You didn't come up, but you know you need to make some choices soon and very soon. Is there anybody like that? Okay. It's all right. As we get ready to finish, Lord, I want to come and I want to pray for my brother. Those of you that uh, know Jeremy and love Jeremy, dealing with some different things in his life, that you, you just want to come and lend your support and prayer, I'm going to invite you to just get up out of your chair right now. Males, females, doesn't matter. You just love this brother. He's been through a lot. He's going through a lot. And you just want to lend your support and prayer. When one of us hurts, we all hurt, you know? When one of us is going through something, we're all going through it together. If you don't know Jeremy, it's okay. You can come pray for him too. You want to come and pray? Just, we're just going to support this guy. We're going to come up against the devil in his life. And we're going to just trust the Lord for him. For our brother. God, I thank you so much for Jeremy. And I... Uh, we, we, together, his brothers and sisters, we come around him physically but symbolically that he might know that he's not alone. That he knows that there are people 
brothers and sisters who not only are praying for him, who have prayed for him, and who will continue to pray for him. And while we might not know all the ins and outs of what's happening, what's going on, that's really irrelevant, in that you know what's going on. You see it all. And we pray, God, for Jeremy that he wouldn't focus on the right or the left, what's behind him, that he would firmly fix his gaze on the author and the perfecter of his faith, Jesus Christ. That he would be able to hone in on what your pleasing and perfect will is for his life. Once knowing it, Lord God, that he would not veer from it. That he would run with everything he's got toward it. And the rest of his days would be lived out to please you. The rest of his days would be a full speed, 100% compliance with whatever it is that you ever divulged to his heart. That he would say yes to your will and to your way. We pray for peace for him, Lord God. Grant him your pleasing and perfect peace. The peace that transcends all understanding. Grant to him soul tranquility. That he doesn't have to be apprehensive about anything. He doesn't have to worry. He doesn't have to stress out or freak out. God, that you got his life in your hands. I pray that you grant him wisdom as a dad. That you would help him to know how to raise his children in a godly way. And there's going to be other people who have their own opinions and ideas about what that looks like. That doesn't matter. Because for what we know about your word is that it never returns back void, ever. It never does. And whatever he's going to speak into these children's lives, not only with his mouth, but with his life, as an example to his children, that he lived for God, that he spoke the words of God, that he continued to glorify God, even over and above all of the challenges, all the struggles, these kids will be able to watch all of that. When they're old enough to kind of make sense of things, they'll be able to remember, our dad was faithful. Would you help him, Lord God, to just have peace about that? You don't have to worry about what anybody else is doing, because you're bigger than all those other things. Grant him your peace, Lord, in that. I pray for his finances. I pray for his job. I pray for any good thing that he has going on in his life, that you would multiply it. That you would bring uh, to, to his life the riches of your glory. That he'd be able to know that you're pleased with him. That you love him. Bless him in every single way. But most of all, Lord God, bless him with your presence. Bless him with the beautiful Holy Spirit in his life. That no matter where he goes, no matter what he says, that what comes out is a fragrance that is you. We pray, God, that you would just be with our brother. Thank you for him. And as we get ready to conclude our service, we want to pray for the results of our election. We want to thank you, first of all, for the board that's leaving. We don't know the results of this one, but what we do know is looking back, we know that there was a, a, a body of leaders who exercised faith in this last church year, and we're grateful for them. We pray a blessing upon every single one of them and their families as these people gave of their time and their talents and their resources. We were able to see you move through their leadership, and we pray for blessings upon them. And this new group of people 
we pray for the same kind of a trajectory, the same kind of a upshot, that there would be an opportunity for this new leadership team to build and to take these good things that we've experienced in this last year and to take them to new heights. We entrust this church to you. It's not ours. It's not the pastors. It's not the denominations. It's yours. And we, your people, give it back to you. And we thank you, Lord God, for all these people who have said yes to your call in this upcoming church year. Would you bless them? For we pray these things and all these other things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. We're almost finished. What I prayed in, let's bring those lights up, please, my brother. And what we, um, what we said in the prayer is real. That's honest to goodness. That's my heart. I'm grateful for our uh, church board this last church year. We were able to accomplish great things for his glory this last church year. And um, we couldn't have done those things without that leadership. And so I just want to say thank you. Your church thanks you for your willingness to be used uh, last year. And so now we have um, on the board this year... Uh, we have uh, Brother David Corbett, who's with the children, Brother Bill Hinnon, uh, Brother Paul Orwig, who is traveling. So those are your at-large board members. Uh, let's, uh, let's recognize them with, uh, with our appreciation. They will need your prayers this year for wisdom and discernment, for grace and uh, for for vision, and uh, we're together. Uh, if we stay close to God, set, set it on fire, and it's going to be a good thing. Actually, this church has burned before, hasn't it? So we'll use a different thing, and we'll say, we'll say it's going to be a good thing this year. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, I just got to watch out with those things. Uh, Nazarene Missions uh, President, uh, Pastor Judy, uh, we look forward to serving with you, and, and thank you for that. And for another year, we have the blessing of having Miss Brittany Clear serve as our NYI president. And uh, thank you for your willingness to serve. Amen. And for Sunday school and discipleship ministries, Miss Rochelle Orwig is going to be serving in that capacity this upcoming year. And so we thank you for that. Thank you. And uh, we were on a yes, no with District Assembly and NMI, uh, the convention delegates. And so um, if you allowed your name to run on the ballot, you're going. So give yourselves a hand. <laughs> well, if you have a full heart and you're happy to belong to the Lord, let's give him a hand. Amen. 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 With that, I hope that you have a great day, a great rest of your week. And uh, don't forget, on Wednesday nights, we have service here. We have Bible studies, and we're in 1 Samuel chapter 6. So if you're not doing anything on Wednesday night, maybe if you're doing something on Wednesday night that's not as important as God's Word, I want to just give you that admonition to be in God's house at midweek. You'll benefit from it. Other than that, God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you again the next time. Mm -hmm.